Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Acts chapter 22 is where we were last week, and we're going to kind of hit that again this week. Um, but like I said, it's, it's, it may seem like... Uh, sort of an anti-independence message, but it has nothing to do with uh, America. What I'm going to talk about today is the section of Scripture that I think can display, um, how can I put this, what looks like, um, it, it can display the intents of our hearts. And I've, that's, that's what I've titled the sermon. Um, and that, that is the reality that we as human beings often want to set ourselves up as our own kings. And that and we want to follow our heart's desires in a way that suggests that we're accountable to no one, as, the, as though God's not really there. And if God was really there, then we can just shut him out and do what we think is best for us. And since we think we know what's best for us, um, we mistakenly think that true freedom lies in doing what we want to do and following our own way rather than the way that God has designed for us. And there's a thought that came to me a few years ago. I had just um, read the, back when we used to read the news, uh, read, read the news uh, for the day. It's, it's a little tough to read the news these days. Uh, this has been 10 years ago or more. Um, and I've mentioned it in, in here before, but I think it hits at the reality uh, that we're going to be looking at today. And the thought that, that kind of crystallized in my mind is that when you reject the rules of God, you don't get freedom. You get the rules of man. And those are the worst kinds of chains. I think that's true, and I think we're going to see that truth play out in our text today. Last week, we saw the Apostle Paul arrested by the Jewish religious leaders and eventually bound and taken before a Roman tribune. And Paul was... Uh, as he was being taken away, he asked to turn and address uh, his accusers, and he shared his testimony of faithfulness to God. And he talked about having seen Jesus raised from the dead, and he had in, not like saw it happen, but he saw Jesus after Jesus had raised from the dead, directly implying before these Jewish accusers that Jesus is the Hebrew Messiah, God in the flesh. And surprisingly, I don't know if you noticed it, they listened to him until he says a very specific thing. If you have your Bibles, I just want to quickly refer to verse 22 in chapter 22. They listened to him about all of those things, even Jesus being the Messiah, until he said God had told him to take the message of salvation through Jesus to non-Jews also. Look at it. It says, up to this word, until then, they listened to him. Then, after he said about the message of salvation to uh, non-Jews, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Are you kidding? That's quite a shift, isn't it? That's quite a shift. And they were willing to listen to the truth about Jesus as the Messiah, but not if it meant that that truth was also available for non-Jews also. Incredible. This shows something about the true intents of their heart, or contents even, of their hearts, again, which is 
the title of our message today, and we're going to, uh, it kind of begins to hit on the topic that we're going to explore today. So they're about to flog Paul, move forward a little bit in the event. They're about to flog Paul until he let the tribune know, hey, I'm actually a, a, a Roman, that's paraphrase, hey, I'm actually a Roman citizen. And so they stopped the flogging because it was illegal to flog a Roman citizen who had not been properly tried. And we know that Paul had not been properly tried. So let's pick up in our reading today, Acts 22, verse 30, which is a weird division in, in your Bible. It should, in my opinion, should have been lumped with uh, chapter 23. Um, but we know the chapter divisions weren't part of the original text, so we can, we can make those adjustments. So we're going to read chapter 22, verse 30 through 23, verse 5 uh, for now. It says, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he bound him and commanded the chief priest. By, by the way, this, is, this he is the tribune wanted to know the real reason. And so he bound Paul and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I want us to notice that things get really heated here in chapter 23, verse 2. When Paul starts speaking about the life that he lives. The key to, this, this is key to understanding in our passage today because Paul says he lives this righteous life before them, in front of them. They know it. They know he lives righteously and thus is not guilty of what they're saying he's guilty of. Yet the high priest commands the people standing there to hit Paul in the mouth. Notice he doesn't just say, hey, beat this guy. Very specific command, strike him in the mouth. Why? Shut him up. I do not like what he is saying, right? Strike him in the mouth. He, he hated what Paul was saying. He wanted to shut him up. And just a little side note for our own uh, discernment development uh, the person in a debate that seeks to silence the other one by force is usually the guilty party because falsehood and deception cannot afford to tolerate fair and honest questioning critique or discussion you may want to take a picture of that that's very applicable in our lives the person in the debate that seeks to silence the other party by force is usually the guilty party. And so, therefore, the priest says, strike him in the mouth, right? Now, it doesn't say why Paul's testimony of living righteously before God made the high priest so mad. It doesn't specifically say. But I think that Paul's kind of smack talk in response, which he rightly repents of when he realizes it was against the high priest, right? He says, I, okay, sorry about that. Um, but I think Paul's smack talking had the truth in it. Paul calls the high priest a whitewashed wall. 
In other words, a wall on the outside that looks clean and sturdy and strong, but on the inside is crumbling and decrepit. The heart of the high priest was in rebellion to God and was actually seeking, we know, uh, through this history account here, stop seeking to stop the spread of the work of God. That was what was going on in the heart of the high priest, and Paul calls him on it. You whitewashed wall. And what I think um, is taking place here seems to be something that I've seen over and over again, and, and maybe you've, you've seen it as well. I think what we're seeing taking place with the high priest is a man under conviction. I, I think we're seeing conviction come upon a person. Paul's living a clean life, and they know it. Paul's testimony is true, and they know it. And it's convicting the high priest about his own deceit and sinfulness, and Paul calls him out on it. Whitewashed wall. You're going to judge me when you're doing this? And so rather than repent, the person that's under conviction lashes out. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen it? Feeling their real guilt and their God-given conscience, they know the sin they're being convicted of is true. And so to try to snuff out the conviction, they shout their sin all the more. They shout their sin. They double down, hoping to crush or at least sear or silence their God-given conscience. They become more deliberate in their sin. They become louder and bolder in the way that they talk about it. And, and in many ways, they begin to flaunt their sinfulness and their rebellion. And they even lash out at the person who's living the, the, a righteous life in front of them is being used by God to bring conviction. They lash out against that person. This is the same intention of the heart that motivates school children to bully the goody two-shoes who doesn't want to participate in the sin of the other school children, right? And the result is that uh, they have an, uh, an attempt to suppress their own God-given consciences. The Bible calls this, they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And the result is anger against the person God is using to bring the conviction. You may have experienced this in your own life. I have. And I hate to admit it, um, I'm ashamed uh, about it. But I've actually been on the other side of that as well. I have actually derided and even tempted and contributed to other people's sin when they were trying to do the right thing. I've been on both sides of that. Uh, maybe you're like me. The, the very thing that was done to you, you turn and do to other people. Uh, it shows the intents of our hearts when, when we do that. Um, so listen, when God brings conviction and or correction to us in our lives, especially through the life of someone close to us or someone that we see living out in front of us, and our response is bitterness, our response is jealousy, maybe even anger toward that person, it's revealing the intents of our hearts. Um, people like this, people like, like us, um, then at that point become enslaved to our own rebellion. We have put shackles on ourselves. We are the ones being controlled, manipulated by our own sinful hearts. And uh, please hear me. When we try to shout down or shut out God's loving correction in our lives, we do not get freedom. We get chains of our own making. Uh, we choose to be slaves to our own wicked hearts. And so we... We'll see here now that these accusations 
or motivated by wicked hearts that are coming against Paul. Let's pick up in uh, 23, verse 6. We'll read through 10. It says, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So Paul strategically says something to bring, to divide his enemies, right? Like Paul makes a pretty wise strategic choice here. Then all of a sudden, those who agreed with Paul on their pet issue now find nothing wrong with Paul. You notice this. They're ready to kill the guy. And then he agrees with them on their pet issue about the resurrection. Oh, we find nothing wrong with this man. His message might be from heaven. An angel could have told him this. What a shift that reveals the intents of their heart in bringing the accusation. They were, dis, they were disingenuous in the first place. They knew that they were not telling the truth about Paul. You know, what's wrong with this guy now? Haven't we seen that in our own time as well? I mean, we've seen, haven't we seen people pick and choose who or what they're willing to condemn based on their own personal biases? Haven't we seen that? We see it all the time. Um, you know, some celebrity or politician does something wicked and they get in the uh, tabloids and they're soundly and rightly condemned in the tabloids unless he or she agrees with the reigning social or political paradigm on some hot-button issue or it helps some agenda in some way, and then that person gets a pass. Haven't we seen this? They might even set that person up as a hero. Um, you know, people even change their religions based on what they want to be true. You know that? People, people pick and choose what they want to believe and, and lift up and condemn based on their sin of choice. And it's not just celebrities and politicians. We regular folks do the same thing. We can be politicians too, can't we? Um, duplicitous. Um, you know, if you don't convict me of my sin, you're okay with me. I tell you what, I tell you what. Um, I won't convict you of your sin. You don't convict me of my sin. I'm, I'm okay and, and you're okay. We're all okay, right? We'll just all be okay together. We are, listen, we are not okay. We're not. And the very fact that we want to say everything is okay is the number one sign that we are, in fact, not okay. Right? We have this desire. Are you okay? You're good. You're good. I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not. <laughs> and no, I'm not. Can we be real? Let's talk about this thing. Um, we're not okay. Um, again, like I said, we pick and choose what we want to be true. We pick and choose even what religion to follow based on whether it allows us to participate or not in the sin that we like the most. Uh, this this upside-down kind of thinking, man, is 
uh, is sadly really common, and we're all susceptible to it. You know, none of us are beyond that. And we are all susceptible to that sort of thing. Even followers of Jesus can twist Scripture and try to rationalize their sin with the Scripture. Maybe you, like me, have done that before yourself. Um, we allow the sinful intents of our hearts to shape what we believe to be true rather than having sound doctrine shape the intents of our heart. Does that make sense? Actually, it doesn't make sense. We shouldn't do that, but we do. Well, let's continue here. The historical record, uh, just in summary, in uh, verse 12 through 35 here, Paul, uh, or we see these religious leaders swear an oath among themselves. They're not going to eat or drink until they see Paul killed. Great guys, right? Great guys here. So they developed a plot. They were going to ask Paul to be brought down so they could hear his case more clearly, right? And their plot was that in, while the prisoner Paul was being transferred, they're going to kill him. So they're going to lie in wait and kill him. And Paul's nephew, uh, in, beginning in chapter 24, uh, Paul's nephew, um, wait, am I jumping ahead? Yeah, yeah, no, no. Before, it's before 24. But Paul's nephew, who must have been visiting him in prison, overhears the plot, goes and tells the tribune. The tribune's like, not on my watch, right? Like if, if you lose a, a, a Roman citizen prisoner as a tribune on your watch, that's bad for you. So the tribune's like, nope, not on my watch. Let's, let's secret Paul away and get him to a safe place, take him to Caesarea where he can be tried under Felix, the governor. Uh, then we see that they, uh, in that situation, they accuse Paul of stirring up riots among the people. That would make him a threat to Rome. They accuse him of seeking to defile the temple. That would make him uh, blasphemy, uh, commit blasphemy before God. So they're essentially saying this guy's an enemy of this state. This guy's an enemy of God himself, right, before Felix. So let's begin in verse 10 there. Paul's going to give his defense uh, before Felix. And we're going to read the rest of the chapter together. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you. That according to the way, that is what we would call Christianity now, right? According to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always, make, always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Pick up in 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, While Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. 
Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. And after some days, here's where we're going to hone in. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So here we see Paul giving, a, again, his testimony of righteous living, which took place uh, before everyone here. Um, and again, the intents of Paul's heart are being re revealed. We know that, as Pastor James taught last week, Paul's a sinner. He's a, he's a dude like the rest of us. Um, but the intents of his heart is a heart that's under submission to God. So remember, again, back in his trial, when he lashed out at the high priest, you whitewashed wall, they're like, you, you, you know, it's wrong to talk to the high priest that way. And Paul's like, oh, you're, you're right. Paul had every right to say what he said, but he realized it was sin. And he said, I didn't realize. So he apologizes. It's a heart that's submitted to the Lord. And so Paul's life is marked by all who see him as someone who lives for the Lord. But notice that it says in verse 22, Governor Felix understood the way. Again, that's what we call Christianity very accurately. So he knows what Paul is saying. And he knows what Paul is preaching. He knows what Paul is living. Paul is living what he's preaching. And this gives Paul a hearing with Felix. And you may have seen this in, in your own day of time, um, in your own lives. Maybe, um, you know, there's a lot of people these days that uh, claim to follow God, right? Things come out of their mouths. But the closer you get to them, you realize, Oof, man, I, I, I didn't realize that they really don't practice what they preach. So when there's so many fake people um, that when you find someone who actually not only talks the talk, but also walks the walk. It's like, it feels like finding a unicorn, unfortunately. And you're like drawn to that person. Like, man, I may not agree with everything they say, but at least they're real. At least they're real. I'll listen to them. Uh, what, what is this strange magic? This person actually does what they say, you know? Uh, so we're drawn to them. And uh, Felix knows the way, and he knows Paul, and he knows the two match, right? So it gives Paul a hearing. And verse and it says even he takes his Jewish wife with him. He doesn't say Jewish wife. Let's go listen to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's go listen to this Christian guy, Paul. It's amazing. Um, and verse 24 says that Felix was even willing to hear Paul talk about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, now by now, we know what Paul's preaching. We know Paul's preaching that Jesus is God the Son in the flesh. There's only one way of salvation through Christ Jesus. He is the Jewish Messiah. Repent and believe the gospel. That's Paul, right? So when it, when it says that Paul was preaching about faith in Christ Jesus, we can rest assured this is what Felix was sitting and listening to. And he was willing to do it until Paul shares something that Felix does not like. Something that Felix won't even tolerate. Something that reveals the intents of Felix's 
heart. Verse 25 says that Paul starts talking about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Oh, my goodness. This is where the rubber meets the road in conversations, is it, is it not? And it says Felix was alarmed, and he shut that conversation down, didn't he? He shut it down. He ended the conversation. We may be okay with someone sharing their testimony of talking about what God has done in their lives. Um, and even talking about how to know Jesus. We can see real hope in that. But when the conversation moves to sin and the reality that we are not our own kings, the reality that in order to embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers, we're going to have to take off our phony crowns, lay them down, and acknowledge the conviction that he is so graciously bringing into our hearts about our rebellion toward him. Um, when it comes to agreeing with God about our sin, agreeing with God that we are not righteous and we cannot make ourselves righteous, um, that kind of conversation, man, that kind of conversation gets to the intents of our hearts, doesn't it? it may, you may be uncomfortable watching or listening or sitting here now. Um, we start moving into this area of God's moral law that's kind of just graciously pressing down on our hearts, man, we, and reveals the intents of our hearts. We tend not to like that. So pause here for just a minute and have uh, some honesty before yourself and God. Ask God to show you, you know, what do you do when you know that you sinned and you try, you try to squash God's, uh, the conscience God has given you you try to silence the voices or the lives that bring conviction to you. you know, do, do, you try to, do you try to shut God out? Do you try to sin louder and faster and just not think about it? La, 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 God, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. you know, is, is that the disposition of your heart? If, sh if so, then you should have some questions about your motivation about the intents of your hearts. Again, it shows you're actually seeking to live according to your own rules. And remember, that does not give us freedom. That gives us chains, chains of our own making. Again, maybe, maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've seen someone who acknowledges, man, uh, the God of the Bible is really there. <laughs> like God is, is real. Jesus really is the Son of God incarnate. Jesus really is the Savior of the world. And they really are in desperate need of the Savior. But when it comes to the part of the conversation uh, that part of what he wants to save us from are some lifestyle choices, some relationships, some sin patterns in our lives that we really do enjoy, then all of a sudden sometimes we change what we think is true. All of a sudden that doesn't seem so true to us anymore. We can have a hard time understanding that this sinful relationship or lifestyle or habit is actually bringing us death. Um, I want you to, to hear this very lovingly and clearly. A, a, a very strong evidence that some, th something is bringing you death is that you love it so much that you willingly reject the author of life in order to hold on to it. 
Think about that. Think really hard about that. Even if you would call yourself a Christian or maybe someone who just, you know, I believe in God, I'm not sure, sure about the whole Christian thing, but uh, what do you do? When that conviction comes through the life of, of another person or through the, the, the sound words or counsel of another person, do you willingly reject what you know to be true? And the God that in your gut you know is really there because you love that sin so much because you think freedom's there. Like you think that's where life is, but it's actually bringing death to you. Um, maybe that's you here today. Maybe that's you watching or listening online. There's, there's been this thing gnawing in your gut. Um, man, let me just ask you, why, why continue to do that to yourself? And put down your weapons. Stop fighting God. He wants to set you free. It's like trying to save a kid from drowning and they fight you, right? Like they, they don't understand. I, I, I can, I can save you. I can save you, man. Run to Jesus. He will set you free. Well, as I said a couple of, of weeks ago, uh, when we live in sin, we aren't only missing the mark. We're also missing out, You're missing out. You don't know it. And Jesus loves us so much. He has so much more for us. Some of you have heard me quote this before, but it reminds me of a, of a section from a book called The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis um, about heaven. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Right? It's an old country song growing up. says, we are truly looking for love in all the wrong places. Truly. God offers that. And we're looking for it in all these other things. You know, there's a threshold we all have to cross. God has crossed the infinite chasm between us and himself. He is the initiative taker. And he brings this, this conviction upon us. And then we have to decide what we're going to do with that. Are we going to leave behind those things that are bringing us death and embrace life? Or are we going to reject the author of life and embrace the things? that are bringing us death. I want to read a passage of scripture. It's my favorite passage in all the Bible. I want to re want you to remember who the author of life is. I want you to take a look at Jesus afresh here and look at what he is, what he or who he is and what he came to do. John 1 It's coming up on the screen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And as we see in our passage today, he came to his own, 
and his own people did not receive him. I'm going to pray that the rest of this applies to you today. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That is Jesus. That is who he is. Will you receive him today? Will you receive his grace toward you today? Uh, man, when he exposes the sinfulness of our hearts, it is an act of love because thereby he wants to set us free. And when he sets you free, you are free indeed. I'll close with this. There's a hymn from Charles Wesley called And Can It Be, written in 1738. It's got a little section in there that I hope will apply to us today. He says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth. And followed thee. Man, I pray that will be us today. I pray that will be us.